0: Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog. The Kepler Consortium is a band of classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, I'm Scott Postma, president of Kepler Education, and I'm joined by Joffrey Swate, our academic advisor.
1: Hi, I'm glad to be here embarking on this noble project.
0: I am glad to be here with you. This is going to be awesome. So what are we going to talk about today?
1: So the theme today is Classical Education, A light against the coming dark age.
0: Now, when you say dark age, that makes me think historically, initially. Why are you saying there's a coming dark age?
1: Well, there was a period in which the light of Christendom flickered in the West. Mm. And, uh, well, I'd say that this is a period in which the light of Christendom is being doused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so how do Christians handle that? And then from, from our perspective as educators, what does classical education have to do with fighting that darkness fighting this coming dark age?
0: Well, wow, that's really interesting. I, it, it reminds me of that quote that Tertullian said, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens, right? Mm-hmm. So in the early church, the question, at least by this church father was raised, is there any connection, any correlation, you know, between the institutions of man? and the institutions of Christ. So right. does that play a part of any of this or are we talking about something different?
1: Well, no, I think it has to. Uh, but the thing we need to remember is that so many of the, the heathen and pagan institutions uh, that are setting agendas in the world today are they come from or even were uh, Christian institutions. Yeah. What is the university but medieval Christendom expressed? yeah, right. and 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 now Christians complain about what the Academy does. right. so I, I think there's definitely a sense in which we need to think about uh, what is the Christian Academy doing? How can the Christian Academy do better? What does Christian culture look like uh, as it's prepared by education and then it expresses itself? But always, I think with the end in mind that, we don't want to create a, a ghetto for ourselves. That right. may be a phase, it may be a step, but the academy should once again be Christian. Right? Abs-
0: absolutely, absolutely. Well, what what you were just saying reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said in his uh, famous essay, De Descriptone Temporum" about uh, the descriptions of time, mm-hmm. that the modern age is unlike The pagan age that, uh, and he uses this illustration that he says a woman who um, uh, a woman doesn't regain her virginity by getting divorced, right? Right. She she uh, she just loses you know the marriage, and and so when when you talk about the coming dark age, I almost think of C.S. Lewis talking about you know it would almost be good if we returned to ancient paganism that would lead us back to Christianity, but this coming dark age is a little different. This is a dark age that. Man is viewed completely different than both pagan or Christian viewed mankind right. at that time.
1: I mean, you know, the, the phrase post-Christian or the expression post-Christian gets bandied about. But there is a real difference between being post-Christian and being a pagan. And C.S. Lewis was very open about preferring to duke it out with an honest to goodness pagan. Right. Right. Absolutely. Someone who had who knew who his other gods were and wanted to, to go to war with you. Right. Right. And yeah. that was something you 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 could both understand each other. Uh, we're actually about to share a, a news story, um, which is it's not so much pagan as it is post-Christian and post-truth. Uh, it's so unanchored, so adrift from any concept of truth, from any story, from any place in the universe, um, that it, I think it, it would be just as hard for a true Platonist or some pious Viking to understand as it is for us to understand.
0: I I think you're absolutely right, which, which brings us to this, this article. Let's maybe talk about it. We were reading it together and, and, and discussing it before our podcast. And it's really about this sustained effort to eliminate, uh, literature, uh, that, uh, you know, in any way, shape or form, um, doesn't line up with this postmodern right. vision for the future.
1: It's about censorship. Yep. People using the word censorship yep. positively. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's about book banning. One of the things that has always just delighted me, you know, you know, I was once a bookseller right, um, and always been a fan of public libraries. If there's one thing I want my taxes to be spent on, it's public, public libraries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Like forget paving the roads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the, it seems like every public library has some sort of, or in and government schools as well, some sort of m- moment of celebration during the year of banned books. Banned books, These yeah. books were banned somewhere. And there's always a suggestion that Christians banned these. And that's almost never the case.
0: Never. It, it
1: isn't the case. It, you know, all these controversial books that Christian moms that were supposed to be freaking out about um, and may might have justifiably had cause to do so, but that wasn't what was going on. You know, it was, you know, there are there are <laughs> there are society shaping interests at work and banning so many of these books. And now we're at, we're at a point in history in which history itself is actively being rewritten. That's right. Right. It's not just a social engineering project anymore where we want Johnny to turn out a certain way, where the government, we're here to help, and this is what Johnny should look like. Now, the entire cosmos has to be rewritten. So, this article that you're going to be talking about is from the Wall Street Journal entitled Even Homer Gets Mobbed by Megan Cox Gurdon or Gurdon. Uh, And uh, yeah, Homer. Homer gets banned. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, well, as you were talking, it makes me think, you know, for the longest time, it was always an argument over Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, you know, Mm -hmm. the the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, because he uses terrible language and and there's a a lack of vision for, um, you know, for for the good characters, you know, in this, uh, you know, institutional way of thinking. Um, But now we've moved beyond just this, you know, the, uh, the inward, uh, we, now we're moving to, we're getting rid of Homer. We're getting rid right. of, um, you know, the foundational Western text that, um, that we are able to look back at society and see how societies were formed and the big ideas, the big questions that were being asked, the perennial human questions that yeah. everyone wrestled with. And we want to eliminate those. Well, and
1: there's so much from what you just said that I, I really am anxious to interact with scapegoating. Like mm-hmm. what, You know, what gets a text or an author deleted? Right. Right. Uh, Because, you know, one of the books mentioned in the story is uh, The Scarlet Letter. Right. Right. One of the works. Um, But before we do that, let's actually let's unpack this article. Okay, Uh, Yeah. Let's uh, let's, uh, let's hit a couple of points from it.
0: So just in the very opening, it talks about a sustained effort is underway to deny children access to literature. And, and, and that's, that's the the whole root of it. Um, this is an and,
1: opinion piece, right? So right. The, the author is just straight up saying uh, this is sinister. Correct.
0: Yeah. They, 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 they're, they're pointing to it directly. And one of the, um, one of the hashtags that they, they direct us to in the article is disrupt text, uh, a movement. Um, and in the, this movement actually exists with core principles. They have stated values that they want to, um, you know, set forth. And so a couple of these stated values, um, there's four stated values for uh, Disrupt Number one is to continuously interrogate our own biases and how they inform our thinking, which on its face, yeah, that's not a, yeah, that's not a bad thing at all except when we understand the context in which they're using this. Secondly, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was just going to comment that the way it's interpreted by the people who wrote that, it means you never land anywhere. And that's a great comfort of it, right? right. If you landed somewhere, there would be moral obligation. No, Let's yes. never do that. We don't. Let's constantly re-examine.
0: We're always looking. That's right. So the second is center black, indigenous, and voices of color in literature. Now, this always gets me um, in terms of people saying that it's you know uh, dead white Europeans who have written all the literature of history, and they never consider that the early church, most of your creeds were established by Africans. Right. Yes. They, they don't even think about that, or or they they they're unaware of it. I, I don't know which is the case, but any case, uh, moving on. So number three, apply a critical literacy lens to our teaching practices. Now, critical literacy lens. Um, again, another phrase that could, depending on how you wanted to use this or what the context was, might be you know having a critical approach to literature. Uh, but this isn't at all what they no, mean. No one
1: who uh, is is in the broader academy uses the term critical or criticism in uh, the in the. It, As what it meant only 50 or 60 years ago. Right. Right. So criticism now is dismantling. Correct. Right. It's completely postmodern. Right. This is Derrida and Foucault. And that's the only way the word gets used. It's just understood by everybody. Right. Which is why, by the way, as teachers, and my wife is an art teacher, you know, young people, including young Christians, are completely unequipped for the idea of positive criticism. Right right, the idea that iron is sharpening iron is utterly alien to them because if you criticize you're dismantling, yes you're yes. destroying
0: right it's It's different than say, when I was growing up when they talked about constructive criticism right that we want to you know we want to help critique or analyze your performance to help you do better, but in today's modern thinking, you know you are completely uh, as you use the word dismantling um the, uh, the academic term uh, for deconstruction right, right. Um, th- that's always used and and so this is what is meant this is what is understood when we you know when we use that so the fourth is to work in community so we've got this community politics community identity which is different than we were talking you know covenantal you know kind of community but work in community with other anti-racist educators especially black indigenous and other educators of Color. So why do we emphasize, why does it have to be, you know, why are we emphasizing of color if we are truly wanting to be, you know, interrogate our own biases?
1: Right. Well, we all understand, of course, that uh, whiteness is the, the baseline. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so racist. It's hard to even like like yeah. <laughs> like if you try to logically explain, uh, you know, what, what the thinking is and what the what the suppositions are, it just it it sounds revoltingly racist coming out of my mouth. Right. But that is what they what they're saying. They right. are saying that whiteness defines reality. So now we have to redefine reality. Right. Maybe whiteness never defined reality. You know, I mean, like, wow. What if it didn't?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, but so there's you know, one of
1: the things that strikes me about uh, about this this ethnic emphasis, I guess we could call it. So, in this article, even Homer gets mobbed. And by the way, uh, these four core principles of uh, for uh, for disrupt texts can be found online. Right. Right. Yep. It's it's hashtag disrupt text, but it's a a movement that's trying to organize itself, um, you know, much as as BLM did. But there was a so some teachers uh, associated with disrupt texts uh, started talking about all their triumphs, right? And uh, an author of young adult fiction called Jessica Cluess replied on Twitter to some of the stuff they were saying. If you think Hawthorne was on the side of the judgmental Puritans, right? This is talking about the Scarlet Letter. Then you are an absolute idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And should not have the title of educator in your Twitter bio. I completely agree with her. Right. Uh, the fact is, uh, she is responding from a traditionally feminist point of view, right. or a feminist who actually has some purchase on uh, some idea of of objective reality. Um, whether a work is feminist or not, that work can contribute toward our vision of feminism. Right. Look, male chauvinism is a real thing. And adulterers should not be shamed is an argument. You can mount from that piece of literature. Um, But that's not actually what's at play. So what happened to her? This is reading from the article. An online horde descended, accused Miss Cluess of racism and violence, and demanded that Penguin Random House cancel her contract. The publisher hasn't complied. By the way, I did further research. Uh, The publisher has now complied. So she's, 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 she's lost that relationship perhaps because Ms. Cluess tweeted a ritual self-denunciation. I take full responsibility for my unprovoked anger toward Lorena Herman. I am committed to learning more about Ms. Herman's important works with Ooh. hashtag disrupt text. I will strive to do better. So much to unpack here. That didn't stop Ms. Cluett's literary agent, Brooks Sherman, who apparently saw the writing on the wall, from denouncing her racist and unacceptable opinions and terminating their professional relationship. So the important takeaway here is that feminists are now available to the lynch mob right. as potential victims. So then we look at 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 principle number four for disrupt texts: work in community with other anti-racist educators especially black indigenous and other educators of color. All right. So, so th- this is the, the, the cause du jour. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and now, um, but, 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 yeah, this is one of the things where we can talk about scapegoating. Right. And then who, who gets chosen for this, for this mob.
0: Right. So this is, yeah, this is the typical cancel culture. Right. Uh, in, in terms of um, group identity and, you're going to have to sacrifice someone uh, you have to have a victim you know that you can sacrifice uh, as a sort of cathartic cleansing right. you know uh, you know to be a part of this this group identity which feminism at one time was its own group identity as you pointed out you know and now we have a different you know a different group identity yes. right and in in and I'm and and the one
1: that uh, that preempts, uh, you know, that is is higher right. than uh, than any feminist, you know, first, second, third, seventeenth wave, wave. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the highest wave of feminism still doesn't achieve the status of uh, a a, a race based right. right. And uh, but you know, so these groups they they scapegoat in order to to cause this cleansing, and it really doesn't matter. You and we are going to move. I promise to um, to the light against right. this darkness, right? Um, but it's important in this process that uh, the guilt of the of the victim is at best secondary. Right. The important thing is that there be there be a victim. And This brings to to mind a lot of the work of of Rene Girard, for example. But there's right. in thinking about. Barbarism versus civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Augustine's City of God. Yeah. And I have a, a, a slightly long passage that I'd like to read to you. Yeah. The kind of though I think it will really illuminate how we, how we think about about guilt and punishment and how it's being exercised. There are echoes of it in Roman paganism, right. um, where you know, we're, we're at a point now where it's just it's just because it's post-Christian, it's completely raw. Right. But uh, yeah, so Augustine here, talking about judges and the use of torture, the use of torture not only as punishment, but particularly in finding out the truth in order to pass judgment. This is very relevant. What shall I say of these judgments which men pronounce on men and which are necessary in communities, whatever outward peace they enjoy? Melancholy and lamentable judgments they are, since the judges are men who cannot discern the consciences of those at their bar and are therefore frequently compelled to put innocent witnesses to the torture to ascertain the truth regarding the crimes of other men. What shall I say of torture applied to the accused himself? He is tortured to discover whether he is guilty so that though innocent, he suffers most undoubted punishment for crime that is still doubtful, not because it is proved that he committed it, but because it is not ascertained that he did not commit it. Thus the ignorance of the judge frequently involves an innocent per- per- person and in suffering. And so I'm going to pause here to just kind of yeah. point out that uh, the important thing was providing a victim, right? right. Now, and it was not in, in finding the truth.
0: All we had to ascertain in order for us to have a victim in this context is that it wasn't proved that they didn't do it. Right. right. And right.
1: people who study torture know that you will get a confession from anyone you torture. Right. 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 They will find a way to make themselves guilty, so it will stop. Right. 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 So, thus, the ignorance of the judge frequently involves an innocent person in suffering. And what is still more unendurable, a thing indeed to be bewailed, and if that were possible, watered with fountains of tears, is this. That when the judge puts the accused to the question that he may not unwittingly put an innocent man to death the result of this lamentable ignorance is that is that this very person whom he tortured that he might not condemn him if innocent is condemned to death both tortured and innocent For if he has chosen in obedience to the philosophical instructions to the wise man to quit this life rather than endure any longer such tortures, he declares that he has committed the crime which he in fact has not committed. And when he has been condemned and put to death, the judge is still in ignorance whether he has put to death an innocent or a guilty person, though he put the accused to the torture for the very purpose of saving himself from condemning the innocent." And consequently, he has both tortured an innocent man to discover his innocence and has put him to death without discovering it. So it's a system that it makes it impossible to discover the truth. What it does is produce a victim. I'm going to impose upon you for one more paragraph. Yeah. If such darkness shrouds social life, will a wise judge take his seat on the bench or no? Beyond question, he will. For human society, which he thinks it a wickedness to abandon, constrains him and compels him to this duty. And he thinks it no wickedness, that innocent witnesses are tortured regarding the crimes of which other men are accused, or that the accused are put to the torture, so that they are often overcome with anguish, and though innocent, make false confessions regarding themselves, and are punished. And this woman, Cluess, made a false confession about herself, right? right? I mean, this is, we see all these apologies. Right. People apologize not to admit that they're wrong, but to be let back into the group. Or that though they be not condemned to die, they often die during or in consequence of the torture. Uh, or that sometimes the accusers, who perhaps have been prompted by a desire to benefit society by bringing criminals to justice, are themselves condemned through the ignorance of the judge, and we see this happen too. Right? right? People try to get into this this scapegoating mess: to defender to accuse, and someone else stands up and jaccuses, <laughs> and it just creates this this endless endless loop. And you know, I mean, Augustine's conclusion. Is that you know if this judge had any piety about him, he would cry to God, "From my necessities, deliver thou me." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it's so, so interesting how he points out this system uh, of scapegoating and how it creates apology and confession. But none of that, neither the torture nor the apologies nor the confession, have anything to do with the actual
0: truth. Well, and and what you're getting at. You know, obviously brings us to this postmodern idea that there is no, you know, truth is relative, right? There, There is no truth. So it doesn't really matter if we're even able to get to the truth because right. the idea is that we have a victim that we can have power over, um, you know, because it's not about logic; these group I, I, identity groups are not about logic. It is about power. It's about asserting oneself. Yes. And so, the scapegoat you're talking about—well, yeah. you know, power and
1: purity, right? Because yeah. not only we, we can we can scapegoat the person because we have power over them, but the important function that they serve is that we are we are cleansed, mm-hmm. right? And and I think cleansing is is a big part of what's what's behind this. Because you know we look at this article, and the article you know kind of makes a big deal of Homer being banned as opposed to some other works. And I think one of the reasons for that is that it's harder for us outside of this mode of thinking to see the logic. So it seems more outrageous, Yeah. Right? Like I, I kind of, g- I get why they don't want Huckleberry Finn because you shouldn't say the N word. And I get why they don't want the scarlet letter, uh, because you su- shouldn't shame, uh, An know, profligate, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but 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 why Homer? It's just some some dudes sailing around on a ship and some dudes assaulting a wall, um, and you know really it's about erasing all of history and remaking the world. This is the postmodern project, right? right? This that is Foucault is. and Derrida kind of being being the, finally being implemented, right? right? Where and you know bringing in idea, you know, like Brave New World in 1984, where it becomes you know of vital importance to cleanse everything that has ever happened before, whether it helps your cause or not. Right. Like the feminists who are of no help anymore to a postmodern agenda.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They serve their purpose at a, at a certain point in, in the project, but they don't any longer. So, well, you, you bring up 1984, um, brave new world, some of the dystopian novels. And so it's, it's quite eerie, you know to watch the news and to oh. look around us and to see a lot of this actually um you know being lived out it's it's actually happening and and i think of that line in the very beginning of uh, brave new world Uh, You know, in the year of our Ford, you know, (laughs) so Henry Ford becomes sort of the, you know, the project because Henry Ford is famous for having said that history is bunk. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want to erase it. And then, of course, 1984 uh, has, you know, the Ministry of Truth and we're going to eliminate anything that we said before that doesn't line up with our narrative now and so it's right. an, a, another kind of cancel culture, you know, new speak. We're going to eliminate uh, certain language that that eliminates categories of thought, and and so this is the project actually coming to fruition. We're we're watching it happen. Yes. So this is the dark age you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so you know if if the idea is to is to really implement Foucault and mm-hmm. and to do, to replace. Uh, Narratives, right, right. Not just to take over the narrative. That's not the agenda, right? They're not. They don't want to just take take the steering wheel of history. We want to. They want that. to tell us exactly. There's a dialectic, yep. right, to it, and so well, we 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 do have a super narrative, yes, right, as Christians, yes. yep, right. There's a story to the cosmos, and the fulfillment of that story is, is found in Jesus Christ. Right. right? There's a story of salvation and redemption going on. Um, and here we are in media Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it becomes of vital importance for, for us to, to, to realize that, you know, proclaiming the gospel is not simply about getting in front of, of faces in our lives and, and elsewhere and getting in front of a, a microphone and saying, Jesus saves right. Proclaiming the gospel means bringing light to every aspect of life. And what field of endeavor is there that is more comprehensive
0: than the field of education? Yeah, there's not, there's not, there's not a field. We're talking about the formation of humans. Right. Absolutely. So this then gets right down to the very, you know, core of what our title is bringing light. Um, you know, to this coming dark age. So the gospel is the light, obviously, right? We we need to bring the the gospel, um, and and there's a certain sense. There's a certain sense, I think, in which th- we have in this postmodern time, because truth is relative, if you will. Mm-hmm. There is a certain sense in which getting the Christian message in front of people, uh, we we have a. Um, a better opportunity in some ways than we've ever had before as people are seeking you yes. know but we have to help them land but, but they're seeking and so education classical christian education specifically um is you know what we're proposing is going to be the best vehicle for getting that message you know to the generations
1: well you know i i just uh, you 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 you, you we've both quoted church fathers yep right um who existed in in pretty pagan contexts, one one more than the other. But, um, you know, a lot of the people that w- that we study in, in classical education um, are straight-up pagans, right? Right, And we've talked right. about C.S. Lewis's attitude toward pagans and, and all that. Um, but so how does classical education, what does that have to do with this proclamation of the gospel, with this shining of the light? Uh, because, so, you know, you said classical Christian education. Mm-hmm. Why not simply... Christian education.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question, and and part of the part of the answer lies in the fact that and 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 for some Christians at first this might seem a little bit um, this might t- kind of take him back a little bit, but um, so first of all the the most um, uh, truth is in a person Jesus Christ, right? And then our our record of that is the scriptures. That that's the record of it, but. The Bible's the most complete truth, or, as Louis Marcos always says, you know it's it's not the only truth. it's it's the complete truth. Mm. Um, but when we study the pagan classics, one of the reasons we study them. Um, is because there is virtue in some of these pagans who are seeking, searching for the truth. So they're a- they're asking the the perennial, what we call these perennial human questions yes. that the gospel answers, and it gives us some context to how the gospel answers some of these questions, especially in an age that we're coming kind of full circle back to a time when people are reasking these questions, but they they're they're rejecting you know what the answer has been up yes. till now. So now we're reintroducing the. These questions, and we have an opportunity to see the gospel in context,
1: right? Well, and and, you know, I think part of what you're saying is when we look at uh, Huckleberry Finn and and um, the Scarlet Letter have come up several times, right? right? And you know, works like that give us an opportunity to put ourselves in different places, right? and different modes of thought, and and hold them and handle them and see how they work. Right. right. And that's,
0: yeah, Aristotle's famous statement that, um, and I'm just going to butcher it in my own paraphrase, but uh, but the idea that a, the nature of a, a true educated person is able to hold an idea and examine it without actually embracing that idea. And so classical, reading the pagans gives us an opportunity to do
1: that. Right, and that becomes particularly relevant now right. because people are, there. There, there is a crisis. We have a lot of people who are, are casting about right. for a truth, mm-hmm. right? Because it's been, it's been ripped from them. Um, and, and I know worshipers of Thor,
0: right?
1: Right, Like actual worshipers actual of people, Thor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so the, it, as people are casting about for, for truths, it's good to be able to sit, to say, well, these, these are, are, were other truths, right? right? What people thought were truths right. and they handled them. And the Christians came in and out, Handled that, right? Right, yep. uh, and that's a, a really important aspect of, of of any education. But I think one of the things that's happening here as well is that, you know, we we I, I, I mentioned you know the difference between taking over a narrative and erasing right. the previous the previous narrative, and now there are our parties interested in just erasing all of history. So people are casting about for for truth for the. Truth. You know, the they've truth, been told yeah. too long that there is no truth or that truth is purely localized is what you make it. Right. Right. And and we have shown we being the church through history uh, that uh, our truth outmaneuvers and outweighs any other truth that might be brought to bear. Right. But we want people believing in in truth. The truth. truth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it, this, this touches on how we handle narratives.
0: Right. So, so the, the idea that um, in, in the postmodern thinking, the idea that, that all truth is relative really begins in an existential sort of, of way of thinking, right? The idea that essence um, doesn't precede uh, existence, existence precedes essence. And so. So, if, hold on.
1: Are you telling me you'd get in a fist fight with Sartre? <laughs> is that how that would go down? I would
0: go down with St. Nick, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh so so this this idea that um uh first of all th- their narrative is an existential narrative that you're going to basically make your own truth because there is no certainty of what truth is. We're thrown into being and and then from there we, you know, we we define what that looks like. Um but one of the things that Hume actually taught us is that, you know, the certainty or the kind of certainty that a lot of the empiricists are looking for um, just doesn't exist in the world, right. right? You know, this is the whole matrix and, and, and things like that. There's something inhuman about the postmodern project. It's, it, it's trying to make us gods. Right, exactly. And and so, therefore, since we can't get this level of certainty, then there is no real truth. It's right. all relative. And so then we make up our own truth and that, that becomes our narrative. But one of the things that, that Hume actually brings up is this idea that um, all we can do with this sort of uncertainty, that this uncertainty that exists, um, all we can do with it is we follow the most logical and best narrative that actually works in the world. Right. And so the idea that, you know, the argument that there is no... Um, proposition that works to say the guarantees the sun's going to come up, no logical proposition because it really is, you know, based on begging the question. Um, Yet the sun does come up every day and we plan our lives around it. And so the best thing we can do is go with what the cosmos teaches us and, and really forgo this idea that there's a kind of certainty we can attain to. Yes.
1: Oh, there's so much there about faith.
0: Oh, well, and that's where faith comes in, right? This, this is where, in believing the gospel, we have a narrative that actually works in the world. It it works not just in the individual, but it it works in the system. And it
1: outworks the other narratives, right? I mean, Zeus had the thing going maybe, (laughs) right? (laughs) But the demons can't withstand what the creator of the universe is doing and his truth. And as human as we might be in, in how we perceive it and interact with it, as limited as we are, it works and we can observe that.
0: We can observe it and we can live by it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's turn for a second, unless there's a different direction you want to go, but let's turn to the actual, the Odyssey for a second. I thought it might be a fun way to explore this. There
1: is a different direction I want to go and yeah. I think it'll set us up to talk about the Odyssey. Let's do it then. Uh, because, you know, we brought up the question of why classical education? Uh, why, you know, so right. Christian education, great, but why classical Christian education? Uh, and, and we've answered you know, that from a couple of different angles. But, you know, I, I talked uh, a little earlier about, uh, you know, taking control of, of the narrative as opposed to uh, destroying yep. what came before and just making a, a new story. There yeah, was nothing before us, and history is what we say it is, right? That's right. the postmodern project. And so, you know, why would a classical education be important? And you know, I think that's a different answer for Christians around the globe. Mm-hmm. and 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 I think Christians in the West should be thinking about Christians in Mozambique and in China, sure, all the time. yep, and acknowledging um the, the just the wonderfulness really? <laughs> allow me to use that <laughs> word uh, of 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 their experience and their part of our history as a church. Uh, that being said, christianity and you know, christianity is actually a, a more loaded term than <laughs> but you know the church uh through the power of jesus christ ha- took over narratives we right. have been conquering right you know not only powers and principalities right the narratives. but but yeah but narratives right so you know the 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 church uh just, you know this knocks down the these idols of false thinking and and so we have a history of of, of doing this and it, it was done in the West mm-hmm. as well as in other places. It was done in the West. And, you know, we are Western Christians. And so the Odyssey is a part of our story. Right. Right. And, you know, and there are different ways we could look at the Odyssey as Christians and Christians. I think we'll get into this a little more, but some people may think Odysseus is a great hero and a Christ figure. (laughs) And some people may think he's a demonic figure, but we can have these conversations because we took it over. right? Right. And we let the Thursday be named after the God of lightning and it doesn't matter because we conquered the God of lightning. Absolutely. Right. But there's, you know, it's, we're in, you know, for a Chinese Christian, a classical education may look different. Sure. A classical education should be for all Christians because all the narratives and all of these stories should be a part of our formation. Right. And if you are a Western Christian, then Plato is a part of your formation. and Jesus Christ conquered it.
0: That's yeah. and that's-
1: has given it to us as as a gift. So it's important that we as Western Christians you know ab- absorb that. And three thousand years from now, classical education, will look different. Sure. Like we, yeah. we acknowledge that, but, but it's but important is, for us to study Plato now.
0: Right. Yeah. This is the plundering of the Egyptians What yes. you're talking. Yeah. What Augustine talked about, you know, plundering the Egyptians. That's what a classical Christian education uh, ultimately is what you're getting at. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And of course, a classical Christian education includes a lot of Christian thought. Right. 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 Uh, particularly as you progress through history. But yeah, there's, it, there's, it's actually a part of our story.
0: I th- yeah, I think one of the, the most important aspects of the classical Christian education we have to think about is that there is a sense in which, by plundering these pagans, um, that it shapes our Christian imagination. And, and it gives context yes. to the Christian imagination.
1: Well, And context is, 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 is interesting because I think one of the key things that an education does is provide a common language. This is one of the reasons it's important. You know, if right. you're a Westerner, then consider the value of a classical, right. occidental education, uh, because so the, the most wonderful language in common that English speaking Christians have mm-hmm. is biblical language, right? right. From the, you know from the King James, particularly, right? If I call you the salt of the earth, right? right? That's a <laughs> that's a biblical phrase, and there's so much has been absorbed into our language we're not even aware of, but a lot of it we are aware of. And you know, so then moving outside into all languages, yes. uh, you know, Christians share biblical language with each other. And then just below that for Western Christians uh, is, is education, sure. right, is Shakespeare and Homer. And it's important. And not only does it shape our thought, but it shapes our community. It does. That we can, we can use these things to talk to each other.
0: It's a common literacy, yes, yes, and and part of losing this common literacy is what has caused a lot of the division um, that in, in you know uh, in the world today that has allowed the postmodern project to make so much progress because we've lost that common literacy, right? Yes, so we we don't have uh, some of the key concepts and the categories of thought and the ideas that we can continue to discuss and uh, engage the Christian imagination about these ideas that we share in common. And
1: post-modernity is well named, right? Because really it was modernity that killed us in it, in right. it right? It was, it was the peak of it right. and it killed it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you read Wodehouse and it's just wonderful to, or, you know, or anything vaguely Edwardian, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, or you read C.S. Lewis talking about his experience in, in, in public schools in, in, in England and, or in Britain, and you know, you you're kind of amazed at this this common fluency and common right. reference that they that they had with each other, but ultimately the modern project, since we're using the word project so yeah. much, but the, the modern pr- project was the achieve of man,
0: right, right. Yeah.
1: And I use the word achieve instead of achievement on purpose, but like the 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 the, the vaulting of man into the heavens, and. If you vault yourself high enough, you don't need to look back right. or be part of that story. So then, of course, the next thing you know, when they jumped high enough, they saw, oh, there is no truth in man, and everything fell down, right? right? But it's this this illiteracy that is so postmodern. We owe to the modern project. That's right. And you know, so the the gospel must shine at all times. But we are, I think, headed to a particularly toward a particularly dangerous precipice uh, because you know, all times are are a fight of lighting against darkness yeah. but you know there is active barbarism and seeking seeking to destroy anything that that's come before everything's being being raised to the ground
0: right we we don't we don't want to rewrite as you said the narrative we don't even really want the foundation when i say we i'm talking about this postmodern culture doesn't want even to build off of, uh, an old foundation. Right. right. So we, you know, there is no foundation that, that is going to be acceptable. It's, it's all going to be, you know, man's raised himself to that, to become the measure of all things and, um, and found wanting. Yeah. Know? Right. <laughs> so, okay. Well, so one of the reasons that we brought up or talked about the Odyssey was the fact that it was mentioned in this article and and more as sort of an artifact um, of the Western canon that gives us some ideas. Um, thought it might be good to talk about some of the ideas that, you know, uh, what are some practical ways in which this looks like, um, you know, shaping the Christian imagination or giving us context. So in what ways, what are some of the themes that um, were denounced in this article, you know,
1: well one of the one of the, <laughs> the 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 this this number that I'm about to to, to cite to you is uh is absolutely mind-blowing uh, well one of the themes is is longevity yeah right since everything must be made absolutely new Lorena Herman complained that many classics were written more than 70 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> The mind actually boggles, right? Like seventy years ago, that was the nineteen sixties, right? Fifties. Yeah. Goodness gracious! I mean, like my dad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, This is yeah. (laughs) Our parents' generation. It it
1: reminds me of uh, Logan's Run. Uh, a science oh, fiction classic. Yes, I remember watching it as a kid. Okay, yep. well, yeah, it was, it was a book as well. You know, okay. Scott. I'm sorry.
0: Yes, <laughs> well, I was it, public school educated at that time. Well, the
1: movie made me mad because I think you got to live until you were thirty or twenty five okay. or something. Okay. It's much younger than that in the book. Okay. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah. Sorry to to nerd out on you, <laughs> but all right, you know, it's it's. It, everything must be young. And, you know, you mm-hmm. talked about how yep. the ministry of truth right. was always how, you know, we're just, we're just rewriting everything so that right. we've never said anything that doesn't line up with what we're saying now. Right. Right. So seven, yeah. So 70 years ago, that's a, that's a cause for complaint. Think of us society before then, and the values that shaped this nation afterwards, that is what is in those books. And then a teacher named Heather Levine, an English teacher in at Lawrence high school, uh, was was the one who said that she was very proud to say we got the Odyssey removed from the curriculum this year! Exclamation point, and that's it. That's all there was because yeah. this is you know a, a Twitter interaction about you know about this uh, disrupt text movement. So the the writer of the article uh, contacted Miss Levine to confirm this, uh, and uh, Miss Levine ref- replied that she found the inquiry invasive. Invasive, like you're asking me to conf- to confirm what I said. So invasive. invasive. <laughs>
0: So this, again, I I think brings us back around to the idea that it's a power move, Mm -hmm. right? So this isn't about comparing narratives and and having a logical or reasonable opinion about the the merit of the narratives.
1: Logic, I mean... Requires truth. Right. And, and there's no yes. room for logic. Right. We,
0: we, it, it's, it's all about this is my narrative and who's going to assert theirs over someone else. It's a Machiavellian kind of power play. And those, you know, a
1: comment like invasive, the reason you know, we end up talking so much about snowflakes and academia is that when you find yourself in where you can't defend your position, that's an existential threat. Like right. we already talked about how right. criticism is dismantling and destruction. So the, the only thing you can do when someone corners you is lash out yeah. because you Gaslight. have in fact been, been, been cornered. Right. Like this, this is calling your entire, what you have decided your truth and your identity is, is now being called into question and whatever happens to you on the other side, you'll be something else. Right. And that couldn't happen because right. being something else is death.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, and, and so gaslighting becomes really the, yes. the only alternative. Right. That's right. That's the only, that's the an only How answer. frightening. Right. <laughs> so when we think when we think about educating, you know, students classically, um one of the things we want to talk about um in classical education, one of the very core features of a classical Christian education is rhetoric, right? The ability right. to to reasonably beautifully um argue and persuade truthfully. Um and yet how then how then will a classical education prepare students to be able to encounter a culture where logic and reason and truth and beauty, these things don't matter. Right. You know,
1: well, and you know, it, it this really is all about rhetoric, but I almost need to take a step back because, you know, the, the, the barbarism is so profound. Mm-hmm. That the idea that grammar could be real, right? right? Grammar in the classical sense and right. the, the the trivium sense. I almost said trivial sense to be funny, <laughs> but uh, that was going to work out badly. Uh, but wow, grammar is real. You mean like things have properties and can be described and can be organized? Stop have boundaries right. and limits. Yes. <laughs> and then and then logic, right. right? You know, it's like hey, let's start assembling and synthesizing and learning to handle these things. You know, all of the, those are both impossibilities as well. How removed is rhetoric? Is
0: rhetoric right, right.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so the, the 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 we want. So you know, we're we're talking about the value of a classical Christian education, mm-hmm. um, in bringing light, right? In, in in as as a part of presenting the gospel, right? Classical Christian education is not the gospel, right? Let's make that clear. Right. The gospel is the gospel, um, but how our children are raised is a fundamental part of how the kingdom of God operates. That's right. right? And, and that's what education is. Right. Education is simply rearing your children. Right. So for a Christian, education is raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord.
0: Yeah, it's a great, there's a great Greek word there, the paideia of the Lord with with a prepositional phrase there, by the way, you know, uh, you know, so it gives placement to this particular paideia because a lot of the Greco-Roman paideia were very state oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, so so you're going to bring up children to, uh, you know, be committed to the faith, but, uh, or to the state, yeah, Yeah. Um, but. In having a paideia of the Lord gives us a placement of what kind of education this is going to be, right? Right, right so.
1: exactly. And you know, so we would we would further expand that to be well, this is a paideia of the Lord that we were in which we want to include a breadth right. of human endeavor right. and of human learning. And we want to give this to our children so that they can be rhetoricians, right? right, right. So that they can they can go out into the world, they can go to their families, you know. So the, the, I guess I'm working towards saying two things. First is, uh, when we talk about classical Christian education, we're talking about educating Christians, right? right? We're not just yes. talking about convincing some random postmodern right. that they should in fact read Plato or read Homer, right? Right. But what we're saying is, let's raise our children in the nurture and admonition of, of the Lord. Classical Christian education is a great way to do that—to prepare your children to then live their lives, right? Right, and so much of their lives will be facing their hearth, so much of their lives will be will be facing a, a pulpit, a, a lot of their lives will be facing, you know, uh, Doric columns, and will be spent uh, facing marketplaces, right? And so there's there, there's there's so much in which our sons and daughters. Need to be prepared to to stand and deliver.
0: Well, and you you make a really valid point that I, th- I think is worth noting and maybe expounding just a little bit in terms of, you know, we're not trying to convince the postmodern student or you know parent to to educate their children this way. Uh, we we'd want them to know Jesus. You know, that's right. that's the most important thing first. But to educate our children this way, there's two things that are going to happen. You you mentioned that their life is going to flourish. There's going to be a robustness about their life in every facet of it. Yes. Right. So everything from the marketplace to the church, to the family, to the state, even that um, there will be oriented in a, in a right way. And in learning rhetoric to be able to take that grammar, apply it logically and then communicate it to the world. Yeah. Cause they're know, not
1: only oriented rightly, but they're projecting rightly,
0: projecting rightly. That's exactly right. But, the postmodern project, that darkness will implode on itself. Okay. There, there is no, there's nothing to sustain it just, the, just by logic. Yes. The light shines in the world and the darkness has not comprehended, comprehended. it. That's right. Right. But you
1: know, it may be that it, it is our great, great grandchildren's generation when that implosion happens. Right. Right.
0: And so mean, in the meantime, this is, you know, there is a furtherance of the kingdom. There is a, there's a flourishing of the individual in the kingdom of crisis. It's, it's growing but that other will, you know, it will come to an end in its in itself. At least, you know, there, there'll probably be some other manifestation in the next generation, right? Some yeah. other some other uh, movement that that you know um, uh, circumvents or 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 um, trumps over the uh, postmodern you know worldview, whatever that's yes. going to be. Well, you know, it,
1: you know the postmodern. Okay, I'm not going to say project again. Postmodernism <laughs> <laughs> um, is is inhuman. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, bec- it-, it-, it seeks to s- to strip us of all. You you talked about how we perceive truth, right? right? And how there's a there's an inability to be content with with humanity, right? Right. I'm human, so I, I don't apprehend everything, right? Right. That's it's just, just, it's just me being just human, re- right? <laughs> and there's this lack of humility and contentment in-, in-, in being able to do that. Education should be making us fully
0: human. That's right. Right, that's the project, and which
1: means that we can be kind and patient and merciful, right? All these things that the strident ones are wailing for, while they slit the throats of their peers, right? Right, right? we can actually have those things. So no matter what troubles are coming, right? Whether those troubles are economic troubles, uh, whether it's poverty, whether it's war, whether it's famine, right? It, whatever the trouble is. We want our sons and daughters, and none of those things may come, right you know, Lord, may they not amen. come amen or regardless of what 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 troubles are coming down the road, we want our sons and daughters to be fully human, to have the capacity for mercy
0: absolutely and and it's it's remarkable to me when we look at that from a Christian perspective, that seems like a no duh sort of thing that we want for our children. But what's also remarkable is when you look out into the world, those who probably are not Christians, I think of people like Mark Cuban and and some of these who have said, and Steve Jobs before he he died, that the future of the marketplace is going to be those who have the soft skills of of humanity, the human Mm -hmm. skills that a liberal arts education can give. So even coming from that side of the aisle, there is a recognition that some yes. that something's missing there, and and the church possesses. We you know we've plundered the Egyptians. Right. We possess these tools.
1: Yes, and you know I, I think it's important to point out as we, you know, as we draw things to a close here that you know we're we're not this this episode is not offered in hopelessness. Right. Right. Where, that's right. Where, you know, There are Vikings a plunderer. Right. Okay. That that's a <laughs> fact. Uh, but you know that that a, a dark age must ensue is 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 not a necessity. And like we like what well, you just said. Uh, touches on that is that you know who who are businessmen going to prefer to hire like right. hiring christians is a liability for certain reasons that's right but hiring academics yeah. who slit each other's throats on twitter and it's like another, destroy careers right those sorts of people you don't want in your company either right that's another right? kind of liability y- yeah exactly <laughs> and, it, it, and you you you're beginning to see businesses having to handle that right right, that's right. and and what someone's going to discover right. soon that christians Stab each other less <laughs> in the back, <laughs> right? And 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 they don't actually believe that their truth is the most important truth. That's right. And so you can actually expect civilized behavior from them, not barbarism. You know. So that's just one way in which a Christian education, a classical Christian education, prepares us. But also one way in which this this darkness uh, may culturally, you know, by the Holy Spirit may culturally be held off and staved off even now. Right. Right. So we're not just saying educate yourself so you can, you know, recite the ver- the things you memorize in your bunker. We're not saying that right. we're saying let's fight now. Right.
0: And this is the, through this education. Is, yeah. This is the way to fight is through, is through education. Yes. And there's, there's several, there's several aspects of that, but I know we're, we're kind of winding down. So I, I just want to mention um, just kind of briefly, there is a sense in which, you know, this kind of education is not only a way to equip for battle, if we want to put it in those kinds of terms, but it is also a way, as we're becoming fully human, that we are delighting in those human things. Yes. Right? The poetry, the literature, uh, even even understanding the astronomy and math true, and science. true multiculturalism, dude. It is. <laughs> It is <laughs> the true multiculturalism. Oh. So there's a delight. There is there is there is a certain fulfillment and flourishing. Yes. Not just in going to battle, and it's not just utilitarian, but it's delightful for its own sake. You know, for the sake of being human. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. Um, this is our inaugural podcast and we look forward to doing this every week. And so thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen. And Joffrey, thanks so much for your wisdom and insight. I want to just once again, mention that Joffrey is our student advisor at Kepler education. And as you've noted from this conversation, he has a lot to offer. I hope you'll uh, give him a shout and uh, be able to talk to you about education. We'll look forward to
1: uh, talking to you all next week. So long, everybody. God bless.